In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. This is uh, Silicon Real, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Uh, I'm Brian Rose. I also host London Real. Uh, it's a similar show, uh, except it's not just tech. We get like writers, activists, politician, rock stars, uh, hip hop artists. Uh, celebrity astrophysicists. I'm trying to impress James here. Spoken word. Spoken word artist. I mean, it gets pretty crazy over there. So uh, if you want to check that out, that's uh, londonreal.tv. And uh, you can look at all those episodes. You can actually look by category. You can search by Bitcoin, by mixed martial arts, by success. Yeah, it's nice, right? Yeah. Okay. We'll be be, uh, upgrading Silicon Reel very soon. So, uh, but today we're here to talk tech. Uh, My co-host is none other than Colin Pyle. You were off last week. We had uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Ivan Mazur in the house, the CEO of a Metria, uh, Russian-born, uh, London-bred uh, dude, and we talked about Bitcoin. I actually kidnapped the guy that runs the Bitcoin ATM on Shortage High Street uh, like three hours before the show because we had a cancellation, yep. and uh, came in, and we talked about Bitcoin. He explained how the Bitcoin ATM works. Uh, it's a little creepy. They actually take a picture of you when you go in to like transfer your pounds for Bitcoins, and we had a whole – we talked about Dogecoin, the dark wallet, everything. So, awesome. uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad he stepped in for that because I don't know too much about Bitcoin. So. Yeah, and <laughs> – He's way smarter than I am. Yeah, Ivan had just written like a 10-page blog about yeah. Bitcoins and stuff. He actually has a Bitcoin mining machine in, in the yeah. corner of his bedroom. He's one of the smartest guys I know. So He's pretty I'm glad, smart. I'm glad he was here for that one. Yeah, the smart money's on Ivan. Yeah. So uh, that's all good. It's actually been watched like 1,500 times, that live episode. So cool. check that out on, uh, on our YouTube channel. Um, how's the coffee business? Coffee is good. Uh, a couple new blends coming up and... You know, doing some fundraising right now, so doing another round, and you know, every entrepreneur, you got to go through it, and uh, it's really hard because it's like two jobs because you can't take your eye off the ball running the business, but yet you can't you can't stop raising, going out and looking for money. So it's right. it's kind of it's tiring. That's but, why you uh, get paid the big bucks with the startups. There you go. Because you're juggling. So um, all right, awesome. Good. Good to have you back. Yeah. Um, our guest today is Mr. James Layfield, the CEO of Central Working, uh, which provides the ideal environment for growing businesses. Uh, you guys have uh, co-working spaces in Bloomsbury, Shoreditch, Campus, just around the corner, and Whitechapel. Ish. Ish. Okay, yes. we're going to get to all those details. <laughs> uh, but you guys are more than just a co-working space. You're more like a club. You get companies in there talking to each other. You don't take equity stakes. It's not specifically tech. It could be fashion, but everything that... Uh, that yeah, it could be coffee, and we'll get into that. Um, you guys are also a startup in yourself, uh, and we're one of uh, the UK's top 100 startups in 2013. Uh, James, it's so fun to have you here. Welcome to Silicon Real. Thank you ever so much. Amazing to be here. This guy's been watching Silicon Real episodes all, all, all afternoon. I've been memorizing yeah. them. Perfect. I, I can verbatim quote. I love it. I love it. You know, nothing's worse when people get here and they're like, so what's this like? But, uh, <laughs> Most people are, are pretty good about knowing what the show is about. But, you know, uh, I was checking your Twitter feed out recently, and you guys are blowing up with, with this recently launched The Escalator, mm-hmm. which is in Whitechapel. Yeah. You got the guys from Barclays there. You got the guys from Techstars there. We had John Bradford in here a few months ago. He was yeah. actually here with Max Kaiser from Russia Today. Yeah. And it was this kind of crazy show. Big fans of him. Um, what is going on at your Whitechapel office? What is The Escalator? 
Uh, I mean, I know what an escalator is, but what is going on over there? It's magical. Firstly, it's magical. <laughs> so basically, we were incredibly fortunate. So if, do you ever go to Whitechapel? The answer is probably no. Every, uh, yeah, not you, as often no, as you, not as often as you I, need Dean, to. Yeah. I wouldn't say I go there. Yeah, you need to go. <laughs> you need to start going. It's blowing up over there, though. Yeah. Jesus. We are leading that charge. Yeah. So basically, we went down there back in the day in December. Um, and then we found the most beautiful piece of real estate in London, probably. And that sounds like a massive overclaim, but I promise you, if you come and see it, you will also you'll have a little tear in your eye. Um, we found this amazing real estate. Some crazy guy in the 20s decided that he wanted to create the Harrods of East London. Hmm. So then, weirdly, he went to Selfridges and copied the exact structure of Selfridges. So it's this amazing building with all these beautiful columns, um, gigantic floor-to-ceiling windows, wooden floor throughout. Um, and he was so basically ambitious he, to create this project. He rocked up down there, um, knocked on all the doors of the houses, and literally said, right, I'll buy your house, I'll buy your house, I'll buy your house. And then in a typical entrepreneur story, someone wouldn't sell their house. But rather than give up, he built around it. So actually, he built this department store with a house in it. Um, with this one little devil who wouldn't sell. Anyway, so he did that. Sadly, the dream did not work out for him. Uh, and he went bust, I presume, because it was being derelict for like 20 or 30 years. So we went in there in December, and there was literally rats on the floor, graffiti everywhere. It's literally off the grid. It hasn't got power to it. Hmm. It's probably London's only zombie-proof building. So when the apocalypse comes, come to Whitechapel. We've got off-the-grid power from generators. Mm. We've got a satellite dish bringing the internet. It's pretty amazing. So it's totally off the grid. Anyway, we just saw it and fell in love with it um, and decided that it's not all about Silicon Roundabout. It's not all about Old Street. It's about Britain. And it's about finding the right places. So, um, so we think we found a beautiful home. And so to answer your question, which is what on earth is the escalator? Yeah. The escalator is a collaboration between um, Barclays Bank, Techstars, and ourselves um, to create, I suppose, the ideal place, a bit like our proposition, really, that, that can take a business from a concept to execution. So we've actually not only got um, Techstars in there, which are pretty much, as John would have told you, the world's leading accelerator, we've also got Microsoft Ventures in there. So it's right. probably the only place in London where you've got two of the leading well full stop it can be because there are only two two of the leading accelerators in the same building um, so that brings an incredible amount of momentum and energy with it coupled with that you've got this incredible facility um, in the bottom we've got um, Foxcroft and Ginger which is one of our member businesses uber cool cafe so you come into this beautiful cafe you go upstairs you've got a 140-person um, event space called the Innovation Loft um, where we've already, we only sort of officially opened earlier on this week uh, we already had, I think, three or 400 hours worth of content coming through there. If you have an event and you want to put it on somewhere, come and see us. It's free. It's completely free. Like, it's like Campus oh. London, you guys let yeah. people come in for free. In, in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, basically. The event space is completely for free. Use that. And then you've got a really huge uh, central working. By the way, we're not co-working. I Good. loathe co-working. Please, I can, explain. The... I can elaborate on my loathing. Okay. Well, it, it sounds horrible, but the reason I loathe it is because... What's the difference for people that are listening between central so, work? So my, in my opinion, yeah. the difference between the two things, I suppose, would be we see ourselves as a service-led business, and our service proposition is about helping you to grow your business. That's what we do. So we train our team in this. They help um, people to do that. And I'll explain a little bit more about that later on because exciting things are happening on that front. Um, and we then design build and manufacture all of our own furniture 
we then create the spaces. And we spend a lot of attention to detail and a lot of money. I mean, we spent a few million pounds creating the new place out, out that way. Uh, and then we create a, a really, hopefully, premium product to enable people to grow as fast as possible. That's what we do. And I think, to, to be honest with you, the, the reason I'm not such a fan of the word co-working is co-working to me is about lowest cost desk space. So it's just, I want a cheap place to work. I'm willing to put up with sitting next to you to do that. And the benefit of sitting next to you is I might get something happening. And that seems like, uh, my, again, in my view, most of the industry that exists, I think there's 70 co-working spaces in London, I think it's probably like five that make any money. So it's not really a business if you're not... It's a fun thing to do, it's nice, but it's not a business. And I suppose we've always looked at this as, how do you really help people to grow? You've got to be around to help them to grow, and you've got to be well-funded to help them to grow. So we, we basically have set ourselves up to try and focus on their growth by being really, really good at helping them with that growth. And that, we think, comes from a premium product. You said quickly that they're not a business, some of these other co-working spaces. And I agree. You see there, and you're trying to look at the revenue model. I mean, you guys don't take equity stakes in the companies, sure. say, at Whitechapel. How do you make a business out of it? So there is basically, there's a really, if you are able to deliver a really high level of service, and again, if you look at, say, the Twitter, you'll see on our Twitter feed, the things that we do for our members significantly help them with their businesses. That's that, and that's all we're focused on. It happens to be in a really beautiful space, and it happens to be that you're sat next to mentioned businesses, but it's because we're actively involved in that process that, that we make a difference. And so there is, a, there is a really lovely moment when you start out to when you grow to, let's say, 10 or so people, when that support, that love, that care is invaluable. And so you can rightly place a fair premium on that attention, that love, that care, that support that effectively will give someone a facility uh, in terms of contact, connections and physical space that even a major corporate like a Barclays couldn't necessarily afford to give to a team of that size. Right. They actually chose you. That's a big statement. Yeah, it's very, very nice. It's very exciting. I mean, we haven't actually weirdly PR'd that, but yeah, they have. They've basically, they went around the world um, and generally they went all over the US and the UK and they assessed all the potential partners to work with on this project. And I'm really, really proud that we had the, the, the secret source that they thought was relevant to their, to their work. So we, we've been really lucky to be involved with them. And this is going to sound sycophantic, so it's not sycophantic, but bear with me on this. I think if you look at an institution like a Barclays, you instantly think oh my God, what a nightmare. And I think in most cases you're right, but I think what's interesting is these guys have been able to act in an entrepreneurial fashion and move at a pace that I couldn't believe a PLC could move. So we did the deal in December. We were open in February. I mean, that's insane. That was ridiculous. Wow. And that's including creating the brands. We worked with their in-house team to create the brands. They, the amazing team they've got there. Um, and then physically design the spaces, which we did, physically building out the space, which we did, uh, and creating the whole concept. To do that in three months, from concept to execution, is just, I think, it's, it's mind-blowing. So um, I was really excited that they could do that. And so the plan is we're, we're sort of top-secretly looking at doing one outside London. Um, we're just trying to find the right site for it now. Uh, we've got a, we've got a, hopefully got a site coming up. Potentially it's in Manchester. Um, and then uh, we'll do another one, another escalator in Manchester. We're also looking into other countries for this concept because it's it's such a lovely thought that if 
again, you guys have started businesses. You know how bloody hard it can be. As you said, just the fundraising side without any support is an absolute pain. Yeah. Um, and theoretically, someone like a bank can, if they're thinking in the right way, really help with that. Um, so what we're trying to do is work with them to enable them to have the agility of a miniature business. We've got 10 employees. We're a miniature business. They've got 100,000 employees. They're quite large. Um, but give them some agility. Um, give them some visibility. Give them some incredible access. And because it, it feels like a real partnership, it really feels like a partnership, we're able to create some magic. That I just think it, you would, it, it surprises me. It surprises me every time I see them and talk to them because I'm getting access at the highest levels. We, I mean, I sat down with the, the CEO of Barclays Bank. I mean, why would he bother to do that? if they're not taking this seriously. So it heartened me, actually, that they're sort of... They're doing the right thing, I think. Did you have, like, a pitch when you went into them? Because, say, Barclays must be thinking, okay, we got tech stars on board. I mean, these are the guys that specialize at incubating. We got that handled. So let's just get, you know, a loft somewhere, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, your name comes up, and they're like, okay, I understand why we need John Bradford and his crew. I don't understand why we need Central Working. Do you pitch him this kind of what you just told us, as in we make, make things happen? Well, what's interesting is I think there was three or four projects running in parallel within the Barclays organization. And one of the projects was looking at how do you support SME? Another one was looking at how do you incubate technology to help the bank grow? So John Bradford, you're right, nailed that piece. But this other piece... If you're a bank, any bank, you're sat on an insane amount of real estate. And again, this isn't something they're doing, and it's not something we're doing with them. But I think this is where the idea started, which is every single bank in Britain is trying to get rid of their high street presence right now, or has got rid of a load of the assets. But if you're sat on those assets and you've got insanely long leases, wouldn't it be nice, in, especially in a recession, wouldn't it be lovely if you could repurpose that real estate to add value to your customer base? And I think that's where the starting point was. So they took a journey into how do you repurpose the real estate to... And I think NatWest came to us to talk about it. HSBC have only just started to talk about it with us now. And we're saying, uh, sorry, you're a little bit late. Um, Silicon Valley Bank has talked about it with us. Uh, pretty much most of the major banks have come to us to talk about it. And the reason they've done that, I think, is because two things. One is no one wants to do anything for nothing. Um, so these institutions are sat on assets that have to make money. So if you give a, if you just gift the space to someone, and they haven't got a business model that actually makes money, then that's not going to last very long. You're so they, gonna... they might give you their retail branches to do something similar. Right. They won't be doing. That's, okay. that's what I'm saying. That was, but I think that is the project that started the journey to answer your question. So okay. why are you guys? Because you. they were looking at a different question. They were looking at the question of how do you do that. And then they, that, for whatever reason, has changed as a tactic. I have no idea. It's not for me to comment. And it may, may not have changed, but I'm not aware that it has continued. And when we look at your like, day-to-day, your day-to-day, hour-by-hour, what you do, do you kind of look at the central working space in general and you're like, all right, we need to get these guys talking with these guys. we got to watch out. These guys are ramping up on 10 employees. They're going to need more space. I mean, are you very active that way? We, as an organization, yeah, we are. We've, I wish I'd brought it with me. It's so stupid. A, we a basically, massive wall at home with all Exactly. I've just got the screens and it's with like everyone's faces. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Kind of, <laughs> that dude needs help now. Move it. <laughs> Is this my, no. Minority Report. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's basically like that, okay. um, yeah. but a little bit more low-tech. Now, um, we've created this thing, which is currently called the Awesome Box, uh, and it goes back to my point. So my business partner, Steve Petty, he created the Virgin... From Virgin, right? Virgin Atlantic. Exactly. Okay. He created the nice Virgin... Nice grab. Oh, it's amazing. Well, exactly. He yeah. created the Virgin Atlantic lounges. 
Yeah, for ten can, years cannot be understated. How they're the best in the world at doing and, that. And the one in Heathrow was ten years ago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. before anyone was thinking was, about exactly. before Google workplaces existed. Like, exactly. I don't get to airport lounges. Oh. You so are losing. I sit with. You need to change. <laughs> I sit just, with the rest of the you poor sod. Are we, I'm going to uh, just ignore you. For uh, it, it must be one I'll of the first <laughs> examples of corporates making something a public design and and really thinking about how people interact. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, it was incredibly visionary. And it, what it did, which is really fascinating, is it, it, it basically made you look at Virgin Atlantic. As if they were bigger than British Airways, and they had like six planes or something stupid. Uh, more importantly, it changed the way that people acted. So rather than get to the airport at the last second, um, and there's a logic to this: get to the airport at the last second, rush through security, bags is laid, all that crap. Virgin managed to get it so that their passengers were on board early. So their passengers were sat in the lounge happily waiting. And in fact, in some places, you're paying to be in there. And therefore, their planes were filling up quicker. And therefore, they could actually get off on time. So there's lots of interesting things that they did that became benefits that you wouldn't necessarily assume. But the, but the other thing is, it's fundamentally a, a sort of a marketing proposition for them. So it's really about how do you make customers happy? And that's what's amazing. So we got Steve, who came in from that side of things. And then we had hundreds of a guy called Grant Powell. So Grant is from five-star hotels. So again, I, I don't know, because I've not done this exercise, but I think if you go to any co-working space and talk to their management team they won't be from the hospitality industry ever they may be from be the tech industry tech, tech guys, they right? may be from the they might even be from the sort of office industry but they're not from the hospitality industry and i think that in putting the team together the secret source although i'm giving it away now and the secret source is definitely that we see ourselves as a hospitality business our team are hospitality people we won we won um, service business of the year last year because we are a service business. And so when you look at this problem through that lens, you get a completely different answer to if you look through the problem of how do you give people who need cheap desks cheap desks? Or how do you find a room in which you can put some people who you can take equity in? Or whatever else people are thinking to create the business models that they create. We said, how do you create the best service to help someone grow their business? It's a different question. So to the sort of minority port piece... We've got um, a training manual. It's how do you deliver continuously good service? So we've created, it took us, we spent a lot of money, like £50,000 creating this thing. So it's a lot of IP, um, a lot of time, a lot of love uh, on creating the manual to take someone who is not even necessarily having, having been to university. You don't have to have been to university. Anyone who's in the hospitality industry could and should come and work for us because we all create we create a really loving culture where we can transfer that love from you to the member but we don't have to employ people who are specialists in stuff they have to specialists in looking after people and then this manual takes you on a journey from being unaware of how to help people solve i need um a new employee i need an html program i need to find some investors because they're quite specific things that most people wouldn't know how to do. But the manual lets you and shows you how you can help those people without that knowledge. Um, and most of it is about, there's a guy called Kevin Ayres who set up LinkedIn in uh, Europe. So Kevin said, central working is like LinkedIn, but in the real world. Because that's exactly what we do, except LinkedIn, to be honest with you, is a bit shit. Uh, I don't know. Jesus, that's a strong statement. <laughs> it doesn't do anything there, does it? James isn't worried about making any enemies. Oh, LinkedIn. We it doesn't were, do anything, does it? We were going to go for them for sponsorship. No, just... no but what yeah. does it do? It's, uh, becoming... it's doing something, isn't it? It's not. It's becoming more of an actual think, information service, isn't it? I don't know what it does. It? Yeah, I think it's, it's more of a... a... media company now. It really is tempting you or, with or a Or like a black these... book, almost, for you. But it's it less... is, but it's not a useful black book. Because there's too many people. There's too many people, and also you've got no... There's no tools to guide you. Right. That I can work out, anyway. 
So Sh- it's, Sherry Cotu would say differently. Uh, yeah, our, yeah. Our, our, an advisor to the board that was here recently. But <laughs> oh, really? I, I'm finding it more and more useful, the, the LinkedIn. But you're saying your place yeah. is for LinkedIn in the real world. Imagine if LinkedIn works. Would you point, people, <laughs> would you point people in the direction of HTML programs? Or, or, Absolutely. Okay. So every single day, and there's a lovely, a lovely little, I'll, I'll quote to you, um, a lovely little tweet that we got the other day. Um, from uh, I took a photograph of it because <clears throat> it was so beautiful it brought a tear to the eye so basically a company called Caribou yeah. so Caribou I don't even know them no. they've been um, basically in Microsoft Ventures have been looking after them for the last three months they've been fast tracking them and those guys have created an amazing technology which is an iPad um technology that allows you to read to your child remotely so you've got a young kid probably under 10 at home in London you're away on business in New York they can see you you can see them and you can literally page turn pip a pig with them and show them the words and point out the noises it's a lovely human tool anyway so this is the quote they said it says um needed an intro to a specific person in a huge corporation who pulls through central work and of course killing it as usual and that was their sort of spontaneous tweet and what what it was is we put, put them in touch with the head of the army so if there's going to be a way to get that product out to an audience that would love that product, it would be the army. So we made that introduction for them. And that's the sort of stuff that we do. And the reason we're able to do it, if you think about generally service businesses, like your bank, I, they may know your last name, but possibly not. They probably don't have a clue what you do for a living. And they're definitely, I mean, they don't know about this. It's unlikely. It's possible. They don't understand what this is. Um, if you go to your accountancy firm, they probably know that you do this, but they don't really know what it means or how it works, or they couldn't really help you with anything necessarily. Um, if you go to your local coffee shop, actually, they probably know your name. And that's most service businesses in Britain. Hotels, you go there every week and they'd get to know your name. Again, they possibly wouldn't know what you did still. They'd know that maybe the name of the company that paid the bill, but what that did, they wouldn't have a clue or care about. And so you've got this really strange thing where most service businesses have a very low level of understanding of their customer base. Our service proposition is about knowing your name. Brilliant. We're already on par with your coffee shop. Knowing what you do for a living. And at that point, we're sort of stepping in front of nearly everyone and then knowing what your problem is today. And at that point, we blend everyone else out of the water. There isn't a service business that you can think of, really, that knows those three things about you. And we know that about our members. And then we help them with that third piece and with the second piece and with the first piece. Because it's actually nice when you go into your coffee shop and they say, hello, how are you doing, James? I love that. There's a huge value on that. And actually, again, most businesses don't even understand how valuable knowing someone is. And it's not because we've got, but we have got, but it's not because we've got systems where you walk in and it's like, uh... Hello, James. How are you doing? Are you it's okay? It's because you really know. Because you fucking yeah. know this, the names. This is like yeah. the age of yeah. the nuanced <laughs> business model. Like the, I didn't expect you to come in here and tell me this today, but it's like these businesses where it's like, okay, we specialize in this, and right. that's why we're so good at it. And you look at all of the things online, and you know why Instagram of this of this, because they specialize in this, yeah. and they've got 15 people making this work online. And it's amazing, Instagram. So I'd be curious, how much more expensive is it for all that personal touch and service? So not a lot, to most right. of you. Um, so basically, if you go down... Bonhill Street, just over there. Um, we were in campus, you're right. So we've actually right. got um, Bloomsbury. We've got uh, Bonhill Street next door to campus. And we sort of helped Google set up campus. Right. Started e- up. Easy said that you, yeah. Yeah. you built so the we, space or set We sort of, up? we consulted with them before it opened. And then we helped set it up for the first two years, basically. And then we, our contract finished with them in, in March. Um, and um, we've now got Whitechapel. But, but we have a space here. And there is a, a brick 
separating us from what some people would consider a competitor to us. Um, and we have a 60% price premium over that competitor. This is Google? No, this is um, actual, it's not Google. Someone next to you. Okay, yeah. gotcha. All right. um, but what's interesting 60%. Is 60% Cut. price premium yeah. versus the person as a brick away. Sure. So that, to me, says that we're doing something right. Because we shouldn't be able to do that if we're not doing something right. Um, we also have really, really great retention. Um, because the thing is that the thing is, if you walk into a room with some desks, which is all we really sort of have, all of any of us have, um, that doesn't do anything. You can have nice desks, you have a nice room, but it's still a room with some desks. But when you've been there for a bit, and like Caribou, you see that the value of that one contact will change their business. That's worth more than. I mean, what are you talking about? 300 quid a month. I mean, it's bugger all, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know yeah. I mean? and, it's and a joke because you're going to have to buy an office anyway. It's not as if we're selling something that you're not going to have to pay for it anyway. Right. I, know, I see where the premium comes from. And now you're a startup. How do you scale that? I mean, we've all been looking at London property. Yeah. I can't believe you found this space in Whitechapel because you go down to Whitechapel. And I mean, there's like 40-story high-rises in Whitechapel now yeah, going yeah. for a million pounds, yeah, you know, exactly. two-bedroom. It's, it's, it's insane. So you know how it's hard to find space in London in general, right? Totally. And, you know, I don't even know if you have the bandwidth now for 10 properties. Maybe you do. We are. But we do. You do. Okay. So how do you scale? So is, I think... Is that the prime well, idea? Well, there's two things. There's two things about that, I suppose. The first is our model um, has a number of benefits compared to the traditional models in terms of the way that we engage with our customer base, in terms of how they use the space, in terms of how we design the spaces. That means that we can get a great yield per square foot. And again, that's what's nice about the model, it is a business. So we can actually go to a property that's got a £40 a square foot, £50 a square foot rent, which, again, I don't think most of our competitors could because they just couldn't get the return on it, and take that space, do what we do to it, so spend another million pounds or so on it, and get a great return because the product stacks up at the, bottom, at the end. We've got a lovely, a lovely model that looks at um, helping someone when they're first starting out, I mean, for 100 quid a month, we will give you the exact same love and attention as someone who's permanently with us. We don't say, oh, well, you're only paying £100 a month, you get six introductions. You're paying more, you get seven. We, we don't do that bullshit. It's like, if you need us, we will help you. And we don't care. If you ask me for something every single day and you pay £100 a month, we'll help you every single day. Every single day. Um, the reality is people don't ask for something every day. Um, the reality is that the, um, the basically we're putting systems in place and got systems in place to help them help each other. And I think that's the other thing we do. You scale it through a few things. One is have a model that can afford to pay London property prices because otherwise what's the point? Two is um, to have an incredible training manual. And the secret thing about the training manual is that I'll share today is there is um, there's a lady who lives in this country. She has a number of large properties um, and often wears a hat. Um, basically, that lady had her household come and see us. And her household have taken away our training manual and are looking at some of the things that we're doing to potentially incorporate it into how they train some of their team. That's your IP now. Yeah, that's our IP. So the fact that, that someone who's very well looked after thinks, and their team think that we have something special enough that they want to take it and implement it back in her houses means that there's something... There is some secret source there, something special. So that, we've created a pack that can mean that we can train people in about eight weeks. So that's highly scalable. Uh, and as I said, we can bring someone from any service background and take them through that training um, and get them there. And then finally, it's a, this is going to sound a bit wrong. It's Al-Qaeda in a good way, in that each one's a cell. That's a quote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's cool to hear. <laughs> okay. Oh, and here's the clip. Al-Qaeda in a good way. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Boom. 
Yeah. Um, yeah well funded, former stealthy. CEO. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> former CEO. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's cell orientated. Anything that's cell orientated it has can su- survive and thrive more easily than if you have a massive system in place where everyone has to report up. So each unit runs as a cell. Uh, and the cell is capable of helping people in the same way on its own and making those decisions on its own without having to check back to me with my screens in my bedroom um, about should they help this person or not. They just get on with it. Well, you have um, a, multiple cells within the Whitechapel property? So in that one, the, basically, there'll be a lead manager and they've got three team members working for them. They just go for it. But what I'm saying is they don't have to report back to head office to, to sort of get this stuff happening. They're able to talk amongst themselves and run as autonomous units. Okay. And so we also, we run each site as a profit center as an autonomous unit. Uh, and so you can see straight away if, if a site's working or not. Let's talk London real estate and let's yeah. talk London in general. I mean, shortage is changing as we speak. I know yeah. you were given Old Street no love earlier and that's okay. <laughs> but, the, but the tube station has like transformed in front of my eyes. Yeah, I was telling amazing. someone the other day, I mean, it used to be literally junkies hanging out there. You know, nothing wrong with that. But now it's like the Tate Modern, pop-up stores, juices. The whole thing's got a brand new look. Yeah. It's like changing in, in front of our eyes. Uh, you know, Whitechapel is blowing up. Absolutely. Is the future uh, going to be in London? Does it not have to be in London? So many guests that we have on Silicon Reels say it's about um, population density. It's about getting three people in a room Mm -hmm. with some beers, and that creates companies. Mm -hmm. It's not about them being on Skype and all this stuff. So is the future of your company going to be in London, uh, or can it be in Manchester? Can it be somewhere else? I think, being brutally honest, um, it can be in any city where there is insanely high population density because you need a few factors for this model we believe to work you need high property prices high property prices is a good thing really? for our model okay because, because it, it high property prices are... and old-fashioned leases because basically right. if you're a high growth startup it doesn't matter if you're twitter or if you're a newbie that's just started yesterday you don't want to sign a five-year lease on a property because you know you know that you will grow out of that sure. property instantly like twitter have had to take an extra 16,000 square feet that they don't need but, you know, because they will need it because the models are flawed. For me, as a start, you know, when I was looking for space, you're either going to go bankrupt within five years or you're going to you know, grow X percentage Absolutely. of time. So you're going to grow out of the space. You're going to be out of the space at some point. So you need that flexibility. Yeah. And also there are times when you need to just suddenly ramp up. We've got a client now. They want 30 more people overnight for three months. You can't do that in a traditional leasing model. So you need a, a hot market where the basically where it's tricky to get property. You can go to Manchester, you can get property for free. You can go to Hull, you can probably get paid to take property. I mean, that's the thing. The reality is, and this is not derogatory about Britain, it's a reality of the, I suppose, the economy, and it's a reality of the real estate market. In London, property is in high demand and is of high value and is increasing. Um, and so you're always going to be in a position where it's tricky as an SME to get a really great, useful solution to that problem. So high property values help you and your business model? Help, help us, but also I think we help then in turn those guys have some flexibility they couldn't otherwise get. So, so again, I don't know if you, hopefully you have never done this, but if you try and get British Telecom to give you the internet that you're paying them to do. So you pay them for a survey, you pay them to install it, and you pay them every month. That takes between three months and six months to just plug in a cable. I mean, that sort of crap, you don't want to have to deal with. 
We, that's yeah. insane. Well, I mean, there are so many stupid things that you don't need to worry about that we worry about for you from how to get the internet on and working and decent through to leases and um, well, the covenants and all that yeah. crap. Okay. Yeah. You, you, we just take away the pain. So you're not moving out of London. London's going to be the spot for the yeah. next five years. There's always going to be things happening here, Definitely. regardless of the real estate prices going up, regardless of it being f- hard to find spaces. It's, it, I think the thing about the hard to find spaces thing, I think, is, is a curious a curious viewpoint. I think there's a strange, there's potentially a culture that has come about, which is, which is, again, I think it plays to the co-working concept, which is, why should we pay for space? And that, that mentality has driven the idea that you basically, that, that that component is of low value, but it's obviously not of low value, hence the fact it's now expensive and you can't get it. Um, and so you find, you, you found for the last few years, people doing crazily good deals just to get some people occupying and paying their rent paying their rates, basically, because they didn't want to have dead rates bills. Um, now the market's changed. Everyone's complaining that they're going to have to pay for property. But again, that's not, not, that's not weird. If you go to any industry, it's weird if you don't pay. If you go to an advertising industry agency, they pay rent and rates and service charge for the building. Everyone does. It's just that lots of the tech startups have, and some of them have a viewpoint that it shouldn't cost that much money. No, but, that makes sense. It, but it does. And that, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, that's, I suppose that's the nice thing. We can make that pain go away like that and make it so easy. I wonder if you could tell us a couple, <clears throat> couple secrets. You yeah, know, we, uh, we know that like places like Google, they have these elaborately designed workspaces that like maximize all of their, you know, intellectual property, meaning the people and get everybody working together, whether it's the food over here and the ping pong table over here and all this stuff. You've been doing this for a couple of years now. I'm wondering, what have you found as much as you can tell us? What, what is some of those secrets that you've found that get people kind of working together or get things easy? You said you design your own furniture. Yeah. I mean, is it like down to color schemes and this kind of thing that yeah. keep people not only because you want people interacting that ultimately makes Absolutely. you successful right? yeah definitely. what are the tw- what are the tricks well i think well the, the thing that's interesting is so for example again if you look at sort of a google proposition and that didn't do it too much here which is really nice it's not about gimmicks so i think what you find is a lots of architects and lots of big companies will create the office of the future. And what that means is just sticking out the bullshit and colours and slides and, oh my God, we've got a slide! In the, and we just, we hate that stuff. Okay. Because no one fucking uses it. People no don't really want... Who, right. who wants a slide? Tell really? that to Marshy Monsters. <laughs> but the thing is, people love the photo. There's a photo of like, ba-bum, the yeah. office. And it's sort of that photo is why they all do this crap. Right. I get it. It's true. But it doesn't really make it work in there better. It's just a gimmick. Okay. So what we've tried to do is cut all the shit and just focus on what really makes working better. And some of this stuff is so prosaic as to be ridiculous. But if you go to most office environments, there are not enough plugs. How simple is that to fix? Well, the reason people don't do it is because it's expensive. Each plug is expensive. So people do put one per desk. We do shit those plugs. So, so one of our simple innovations is... Every table has got four plugs per person, which, well, of course it has. But honestly, if you go to most offices, that isn't true. That just isn't the case. So give them loads of power um, is one of the things. Secondly, again, most desks are designed. I mean, look, this is a fucking huge desk. It's, it's unnecessarily big. large. It is unnecessarily um, large. Uh, and it's, it's made a of, reflection of my ego. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. but it's made of very poor quality materials, so I would say as well. It is. So is it what Ikea? We, <laughs> Ikea? No, it's not Ikea. No, it's not. It's it not. doesn't feel like we Ikea We need to James me. to come in here. We and could read model this for you. But what's interesting is it, the, a lot of the furniture you see in the market is built for an old-fashioned world where people did have drawers and desks with stuff in. 
instead of a cloud-based storage facility. They used to have lots of wires and things coming out that were connected to printers and just stuff that nowadays you sort of don't do and that's only really changed recently right. and so the, the sort of manufacturers of furniture haven't really caught up with that yet they are catching up but they haven't so we went out and basically created furniture that enabled people to work on laptops enabled people to work with big screens and multiple screens enable you to have rigs that you can clamp onto the desk so you can have your multiple screens if you're say a gaming developer um and um created footprints and formats that were super flexible so we can reconfigure our spaces so effortlessly if you're four today and eight tomorrow we can cope with that very very easily because all of our stuff is very modular it plugs into each other it's a bit like lego it's just easy to run easy to use um and then in terms of the colors and things i mean again i suppose we try and have a fairly sort of flamboyant but natural look so we're using lots of natural materials um it feels very comfortable we spend most of our time and effort on on the chair i mean nice. you're going to be spending shit loads of time on that chair and again if you go around lots of the sort of co-working spaces you'll find this bit is cheap but that's the important bit if you're sat on it all day don't skimp on this thing um equally the lighting getting the lighting levels right i mean it's boring boring stuff but it's the lighting it's the power it's the data it's the reconfigurability stuff that you won't notice is the stuff that's special. Um, and there's loads of, I mean, just silly things. I'm just trying to think of the good, best silly examples. But things, the gimmicky meeting room thing, we do a bit of, and people seem to quite like that. Because okay. they like to say, oh, I'm having a meeting room in the love room. But, but, and that works, it's fun. But the gimmicky stuff, apart from that, we don't bother with. I mean, things like storage. Most people these days don't need much storage. So we just do these little lockers, it works fine. Um, rather than having to put in huge amounts of storage space and cupboards, which a lot of people would have done or could have done, it'd be a waste. Um, and then... And then that's sort of it, really. Simple, 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 simple things. No, that's fine. Talk to me about America. Yes. Are you going there? Yes. And when you visit there, when you go to the <clears throat> valley, when you go to the alley, do you see the working spaces and things that they're doing better? Oh, my God. Or worse? Miles better. Okay. Miles better. Miles, miles, miles. Really? I mean, yeah. yeah. They are so, fucking awesome. That. So basically... So primarily New, New York. York and New York, yeah. Okay. I mean, what you've got, again, New York, you've got this amazingly insane real estate market. It's so expensive. It's so ridiculous. It's so bizarre. It's exciting. Is it worse than here? Yeah, it's worse really? than here. Way worse than here. Is it? Yeah, really? it's You can sell someone a spike over there for $1,000 a month, and they will sit on that spike. I've seen some of the <laughs> shittiest offices in the world in New York, and people go, oh, my God, this. And it's like, like a tiny little thing. This place, this is just $3,000 a month. It's fucking amazing. And look, I can get inside the office. And you're like, you are kidding me. You are kidding me. And look, you, you've only got one beggar you've got to kick to get in. It's, it's insane. It's insane. And the lift doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work, but it doesn't matter. We're only on the fifth floor. And honestly, it's insane. So, so the market is What impresses crackers. you about well, that? Not that, obviously. Yeah. But what impressed me was, um, I mean, everyone's heard of, hopefully, WeWork. I mean, they're coming to London at some point. They have taken someone like a Regis. WeWork. Yeah. Okay. And just nailed it. And um, the, what they don't do, which is what I think is quite exciting, which is why I think we've still got, we're, we're going to survive, is they don't do service very well. They're atrocious. They don't have a level of service. Um, and what they're really selling, which is great, are beautiful glass boxes. So if you want to work in a tiny box and pay a shitload of money for it, they have an amazing product. And it's very cool. That's kind it's, of what Regis does too, though, right? Yeah, but they, they just do, do that's almost like if you want to pay a lot of money and, and sit in a horrible box, yeah. that's what Regis okay. do. They do a beautiful box. Better box. A okay. nice box. Nice box. A very sexy box. And if you go and see their places, you'll love it. It's in, super in, cool. In New York, you're saying? New yeah. York, San okay. Fran, all of those. So we work awesome products. Check it out. Lovely. They come to London. They're expensive, but they're sexy. Um, and then there's something called Neuhaus. Rubbish name. 
I can barely spell it, but it's the only other company I've found in the world that has also been set up by people from the hotel industry. Right. Okay. And so they understand service. They, they understand service. And I would say Neuhaus is a bit like a sort of, if you could work at Soho House, I know you can, but you can't really because you can't use your phone, which is a bit stupid. But if you could actually work at Soho House, that's sort of what a Neu House is. Okay. And then you've got, what else you got? There's a couple more. But anyway, they're the two that I think they've got something right and they can scale that business and it'll grow and they'll come to this market. I mean, Neuhaus looking already here. Um, we work open hopefully September, October time. They'll change the market and I think there'll be a nice little shakeup that'll, again, it'll be good for people who've got a good business. Are you going to America? We are looking at New York. Okay. Yeah. We've been looking at New York for a while. I did a trip to New York. Is that necessary for your business model? Do you have to be It there? depends how you look at it. I mean, I have a very old-fashioned view which is great brands are created out of America. I, and that might sound like a horrible thing to say, but there aren't many great brands, big global brands that are created from Britain. There are a few, Brit, BP, there's some that you think, wow, yeah, they're up there. But they're mostly not created from here because we, as an island nation, seem happy to just look after our, mm. our, our island. Um, and basically there's a chap um, called Mark who runs Regis, so he started Regis when it was um, one unit. And he's taken it, and he's British, he's taken it, and it's a British company, from one unit to a £1.7 billion company. Again, I bet there are hardly any, there's hardly any people in Britain that can say they've done that. It's, it's an amazing thing to have done. So he sat with us and said, this should be a 1,000 sites. And I thought okay. that was fascinating, because I, I don't think another British person could have looked us in the eye and said something as insanely audacious as that. I mean, that's a billion-pound company. Right. I, I mean, and so when he said that, I sort of thought, oh, hello, we've got some in here, lads. Um, this might be a winner. But, but it made me realise there's a potential. But it also made me realise that to realise that potential, you need to go where the money is, where the ambition is, where the balls are. And despite what everyone says, we have not yet created the conditions in this country to easily, and it's all relative, push out a brand. So WeWork are going to hit London. They're backed with, they've got £30 million just to spend on doing their initial launch. £30 million. None of the competitors in this country have got anything like that sort of money. Not even close to that sort of money. Um, Where do you guys get the money <clears throat> to finance yourselves? So we are, we basically have, we, we've done partnerships. So for example, partnering with people like Barclays. Okay. Um, we, where we were sort of in a commercial relationship with them. We have um, angel investment. Uh, and we are looking, like you, yeah. uh, at fundraising. And it is one of those things. I think finding partners who get how quick you have to move is less likely to happen in Britain than it will happen in the US. And so I think if you're trying to scale a business like this, I mean, like, I mean, Starbucks. Starbucks is about 10 times bigger than Costa. It's not like a little bit bigger. It's miles bigger. McDonald's. Yeah, Americans I mean, are used to scaling. It's how you nail population. It. Absolutely. So all, I think... The countries have been all about scaling, moving completely. west and, you know... Okay. And so I think the only way to, for us to create a massive global brand, if that's what we want to do, and we'd love to do that, would be to go to America because the people who are there can help us do it. And you guys are talking about Dubai, Moscow, Warsaw, Singapore. Obviously, yeah. you dropped in Manchester. Yeah. Uh, those other cities, how important are those? Are those? This model works in any city, any major city, any capital, any sort of second, third, fourth city. I mean, the weird thing is in Britain, we sort of haven't really got that. We've got London and then Britain. Right. Um, but in lots of other countries, you've got other major cities within that are, that are dominant in, in something. So in lots of other places, that would be the case. Um, and so... Um, so 
this is something that I think, yeah, you could and should, and it will at some point take going to those cities. But again, it's fairly logical to say, okay, nail London, prove the model, pick up model, take it to America, New York, and just roll it across America. And then having done America, come back to do the rest of... What about Berlin? That seems obvious. Yeah, but it's but the real estate's but... cheap there. Okay. And that's that doesn't necessarily help you. You, you probably thrive in a place where it's expensive. You need well, no, it's not that we thrive, to but provide it's a solution. Well, exactly. It's like, why, if, it's like why... It, we'll probably go to Manchester. But if you go to Manchester, if you can for free sit here, right, right. why would you pay me money? Because also the thing you will not be able to understand is the value we add. The value we added to Caribou wasn't about desks. But how the hell, when you come in, do I actually demonstrate that to you? It's hard. In London, it's easier. But it's hard. So I think outside of, outside of London, you're looking just at, well, this costs something, and this doesn't cost something. I'll take this one, thank you very much. Right. Basic, it's <coughs> a basic fundamental thing that comes back on the shoulders yeah. to solve a problem, right? Totally. Right. Are you worried as you scale, you won't be able to help caribous of the world well that's why we've spent as i said like 50 grand investing in this it's all about that it's all it about that. Like if you get hold of that uh, it, honestly when you open it light comes out in your sure, face exactly. a bit like this we need a tour we need a tour yeah. you do yeah, yeah. but um but yeah no, there's something that is the secret sauce and because again we started again hopefully i think differently to what we, we designed central working to scale it was designed from the first second we did it to scale so for the first two sites, we didn't make money, and we never would make money because it wasn't designed to have two sites. It was designed to have 50, 60 sites. So it needs that scaling. And so because of that, it has systems that scale. It has, it has a brand that will scale. It has training manuals that will scale. It's got the stuff that you'd have in a business a lot bigger so that it can be the business that it wants to be that's a lot bigger. When is the central working LinkedIn coming along? Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? So again, we've been yeah. working on stuff like that. So we've got yeah. something um, cunningly called Project C. Uh, and that's... Okay. <laughs> we won't be called it ultimately, <laughs> but that's what it's currently called. And it's a bit rudimentary right now. Sure. And I think it's also one of those challenges, a, a sort of your sort of Instagram point, it's like, how do you get really good at doing one thing well? Because if you go into that, there's a danger that you end sure. up as a tech business. Is that a bad thing? Maybe not. But then the real estate becomes a secondary point. So I think... There's, a, there's an interesting balance there. Finding a tech platform that doesn't become the whole business, right. I don't think, because I, I don't think that's what we want to do. And also a not, not putting in place a, a digital barrier. We want to be human. Uh, uh, the, the people crave being together. People crave that human contact. Um, and so part of our role is to provide that human contact. And if we're too clever with our technology, this isn't some sort of clever explanation so we don't have to spend our money on it. If you're too clever with technology, you become a bit automated. And when you become a bit automated, your service level plummets. Because you just think, when you used to, years ago, go into a bank, when, when they had decentralized branches, they actually could look after you in a branch. Now, because of technology, they can't. And you end up on a call center or you end up on a website. The service level has actually plummeted with most banks. It's not better, it's worse. Right, so you've got to watch for it. What, what, <coughs> what made you what you are. Just a few more questions. Um, uh, what do you think of 
tech in London. You know, you've seen it the last two years. It's obviously getting bigger. Our show has started. Exactly. You know, for God's sake, this yeah. is it. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. I mean, that's a sign. You've got incubators everywhere. I would, I, I'm going to ask you later. You know, we don't have a chance about over incubation, but like everyone's starting an incubator. You know, where, where are we going here with London tech and, and what do we need to avoid? What do we need to do better? I mean, you're on the ground. You see what's going on. So basically, whenever we started thinking about central working five years ago, um, so we did two years of planning before we started. And back then, London <coughs> as a tech centre was nothing, really. It was, but it wasn't seen as one. And um, when we first started three years ago, um, it, it, it sort of the idea of London as a tech centre was almost a bit of a joke, a little bit. And then when Google Campus launched, I was like, oh my God, it's cool, Google's done something in London, woohoo. I think now, I think it's actually true. I think London is now what it wanted to be. Uh, and it will only get better. And I think someone, a lovely, have you met Prue? No. You've got to meet Prue. Prue Ashby? Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so Prue from London Partners, get her on the show, she's awesome. Okay. But um, she said something to me a long, long time ago, and it was a great pitch that London Partners had come up with, who promote London around the world, yeah. for London. And she said, if you were in another country like America, if you want to talk to sort of the advertising, marketing bit of that industry, you end up going to probably like, New York or, or, or Hollywood. Um, if you want to go to talk to the money part of it, you end up going to San Francisco. If you, so actually, you end up having to shoot thousands of miles to find this specialist in an industry across that country. Here, you can jump on a Boris bike and you can be with some of the most creative people in the world, like Framestore in Soho, and 15 minutes later, be with some of the top banks in the world, and 15 minutes later, be with some of the top PR agents in the world. And it, it's quite a unique set of circumstances. So I was not cynical, but sceptical. And I think now I really see... Because I was thinking, fuck London, let's get to New York ages ago. And now I'm thinking, this is amazing. There is something very, very, very special here. And I can, if, if the politicians don't fuck it up, because that's the danger, isn't it? That as a sort of stupid gesture, Labour comes in and just changes stuff that the Conservatives did just to change stuff. If they don't fuck it up, there is a real chance that this can be a, an incredible tech centre, I think. It's amazing. Um, How so could they fuck it up, do you think? Take I away just think the you tax could, you could change the tax incentive sure. schemes, of course. If anything, that still needs loosening and loosening and loosening yeah. to get the money flowing. Um, you could reduce the emphasis on technology. I mean, you could just do sure. some stupid policies that look... Or you could, you could make it harder for people to come into the country. Mm. I mean, that, that alone Which will theory? be the most fucking stupid thing anyone could do. Right. Yeah. It could be happening. It's insane yeah. that yeah. that could happen. And that's, the, the, the challenge, I suppose, is that the man in the street doesn't appreciate the difference between one type of person coming to the UK and another type of person. Should there be a difference? Who knows? But if you are... I had this bizarre experience. One of the top execs from Google left Google to do their own startup and couldn't get a fucking visa. And you, you're, it's like, we should be biting their hands off to keep this person. Yeah, um, they can't. Unfortunately, the Yanks aren't the best example either. But they're No, no, it. no. I she went to New York, but she um, was American. There you go. A couple more questions. Will you overtake a, a, a small equity <laughs> stake in companies? I mean, come on, 1%, 2%. I mean, will that, is that ever part of your business model? Do you think it's, it'll it, ever happen? I think, um, I think it, what that does is it changes how you look after your customers. What we've tried to do is say and believe and imbue in everything we do, the idea that you're as good as you are. You're as special as you are. So that filters through everything we do. So lots of places, lots of clubs, which we see ourselves as, would say, well, actually, he's an awesome journalist. You can have free membership, mate. And you're just some scummy startup you can pay. Um, and we don't do that. 
We don't do that. Everyone pays. And what that means is that everyone is equal and everyone gets the same service. If, however, I think, actually, this guy's got something really awesome, which by definition means that you haven't got something really awesome, Mm. I then take a bit of equity in his business. But then I'm going to help him more than I'm going to help you. Because I care more about him succeeding than I help. And it it will fuck our model completely if we did that. Because it means that you can't love your customers as a customer base. You will focus on the ones that you'll give, get the most return from. And that changes our business to be something that is not. That's a good answer. I really? like that. Yeah. I, I do feel yeah. this hospitality vibe going on here. And uh, good. it's something I didn't think about when I, when I thought about central working. No, so. me neither, actually. And, and I'm, so I'm a Soho house guy. And so I work, try to, I work out of there every now and again. And shortage really create, shortage has created a really cool it's environment awesome. now. Um, and you, you, they have some desks and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, and I've been to a lot of your central workings and it's been, yeah, I see a huge opportunity in taking the, the co-working yeah. and then, you know, some of the club type stuff totally. and sort of meshing them together and trying to create an environment where people can spend, spend their days. Yeah, yeah, we want a tour. Um, James, we always ask everyone here a few questions at the end. You probably know these are coming. Hopefully you didn't prepare for them, but that's Go okay. Um, if you could make a phone call to the 20-year-old uh, James Layfield and give that young man a bit of advice, I don't know where he was, but what would you tell him if you could have sex sooner? Jesus. <laughs> have you not had sex when you were 20? Is that, no, is I that was 21. <laughs> Can you believe that? 21. Fantastic. That lame. Wow. It was like an wow. explosion. There we go. The poor one was destroyed. There we so go. that's why I would say to him, well, <laughs> no, have no, sex no, sooner. Uh, that's, the first, that's the first one, I think. That's yeah, the first, first time we heard that. Were you at all involved in technology whatsoever? Did you see oh it my coming? God. I was... I was um, I was a geek at school, not surprised. Hence, hence my not having sex, I suppose. I was an uber geek. Okay. I was um, illegally pirating computer games and selling them. I was importing them from... For some reason, Amsterdam was the home of hacking computer games when I was a kid. Yeah, right. So they used to get cracked in Amsterdam. I'd get my discs through. I had an array of disk drives. And I would just be copying... Do not arrest me. I'd be copying, copying, selling, Statue copying, copying, copying. Exactly. Right. Um, <laughs> games and selling them in the playground as a kid. So I was probably underrated. Uh-huh. But so I was, I was into computer graphics. I used to draw and design. I, I thought that I would end up in that world because I was obsessed with it. And some, I think I, I, I can be sort of quite an obsessive personality. So I got so obsessed with it, I realized that I could spend my life inside the computer and not really enjoy life in the real world if this is in, if this is indeed the real world mm. um, and so um, and so and we so talk about that on <laughs> and so um, and so I opted out I mean and then I, I, I did come back to it so when I was at Virgin we did the sort of pretty much I like to think it was Facebook it was, it was pretty much Facebook um, years before Facebook and it was called virginstudent.com so I did mm. try my hand at doing a dot com and it was fun but I love like you were saying I love that I love that tangibility to go into a room and touch stuff that, that, that makes someone's life better mm. and to have a conversation. Because I, I get off on talking to people. I like talking to my members. And I don't see them as customers paying me money. They're people that I really like. And it's, there's nothing nicer. And it's, I'm sure this is what you do. This It's so nice to meet people, to talk to people, to hear their ideas, to feel their energy. And that... That's why we started this business, because that energy that you feel in the room, and if you come in, you get it in so as well, that buzz, it's fucking awesome. Right. And it's you're talking, like a drug. It's weird, interesting, because you're in the tech <laughs> sector, and you know, let's be honest, techies are naturally on the introverted side. I mean, look at your history. And so, in a weird, <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, geez, ouch. Geez. 
uh, you know, in a weird way, you kind of have to push them to get talking. But that's totally. how great the companies are made right. by getting yeah, yeah. them out of their shell. Don't do the virtual meeting. Make it comfortable Don't do for them. The, yeah, yeah, right. Make right, right. it so comfortable, and it's so lovely. You see, sometimes a member will join, and they start off so quiet. And part of the skill of our team is to let them flourish and let them be themselves and feel comfortable and help them to engage. And not that they're necessarily socially inadequate at doing that, but you're right, there are some people that aren't super flamboyant. And therefore, we can help them make those connections. And, we can make those, and what you see is, after a few months, they've got a load of new friends that they would never have had in an office because these people care about each other's businesses. That's, to be honest with you, the criteria to join Central Working was twofold, which is you have to be passionate about what you do or you cannot join. So again, it's probably, we won't let you join if you're not passionate about what you do. So you will screen people. Yeah, okay. and we will get rid of people. Uh, and you have to be open to collaboration. And so if you put that basic filter on, open to collaboration and passionate, you sort of attract a group of people who are open to collaboration and passionate. And so then you create a world where they want to play. Okay. Second part of that question, uh, what's the best advice you've ever received in your life? I hope it didn't happen at 21. Put this on. 20 and a half. <laughs> the best advice yeah, yeah. I've ever had. Yeah. Business or personal? Okay, hold on. Let me think. I'm sure there is some. Well, maybe I've, seen, I've got years. my memory so rubbish. My memory so. Um, what's the best? Or maybe in the past two years, something. Or maybe in the last a, hour that a client said, or or that you know something you you gleaned um, from working with. Other I people. think ah, this is it, and it's not. It's not. It's people say this a lot, and um, there's two. Th- yeah, this is the one. So people say this a lot, and you don't always understand what they mean when you are fundraising. I think most people get so pissed off about how hard it is that they reduce their barrier to entry. They sort of start off at almost, I want some money and some stuff. And then it, you end up at a place which is like, fucking give us some money. I don't really give a shit. And I think what I found is, and what's true is, and what someone said is, you don't ever want just money. You always want money plus. And the plus has to, I think, be some sort of expertise or guidance or support. Because what I found is, if you go for money, for money's sake... All they want is return. And if all they want is return, they don't understand your business. And they don't care about your business. They just want money. And that, that constriction means that you probably won't grow. Whereas actually, if you have someone who looks at your business and says, here's all the amazing things we could do together, and here's some money, then they want to help you do those things. And, get, and that is, that's the number one thing. Yeah. I saw a tweet recently that said something like, uh, before you take on a customer, is this someone you want to have a relationship with? Mm. Because you're going to have a relationship with Yeah, them. exactly. You know, whether it's a one-time Starbucks and come back forever or whether it's you raising money. Yeah. I mean, this is, these are good thoughts. So when I, yeah, when I raise cash, oh, you know, the valuation is one thing. But I'm, I'm thinking I can bring this down 10 to 20% discounted for a guy that's going to give me 20 to 30%. 100%. Uh, right? so, Absolutely. And so it's almost like a valuation is determined for me based upon who I'm pitching to. Who you're talking to, yeah. So. Last part of that question uh, to the 20 year old that's listening to us out there the uh, that, that might have been virgin. in your situation uh, <laughs> <laughs> you poor man you never know where this is going to go and it's live um, what go advice on. do you give to them about to the 20 year old listening to around the world that wants to get into tech I suppose um, I think the thing that people do uh, and it's probably a generic answer but sorry if it is but I think it's just a truism it's basically um, people procrastinate and you get, you get the person that you t- that's talking about their idea all the time. And I suppose what I found is if you don't talk about your idea at all, you just do the fucking thing. It doesn't sort of start now. 
And when I say don't talk about it, back to Ben South, Southworth's point, I'm not saying don't share it once you've started. I'm just saying don't just talk about the idea of doing something. It's so funny, we had a guy come up to the other day, he goes, oh my God, I thought about doing central work ages ago. I was like, yeah, but you didn't fucking do it, dickhead. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, but it's funny, isn't it? People imagine that they've come up with an idea just because they've thought of something. And actually, the energy you need to make it happen, the, the human brain is amazing that you always underestimate how fucking hard things are. So no one would be an entrepreneur if they knew how hard it is to be an entrepreneur because it's a nightmare. You're always running out of money. You're beg, borrowing, and stealing. And, and most of it is not about making it because most people don't make it. It's about the thrill of doing it. Um, and it's hard, 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 hard work. But you've just got to start. And you've less, less start. talking, more walking is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had a guest on London Real. <clears throat> His name is Eric Thomas. He's called the hip-hop preacher. He's really famous in America. Sounds awesome. Like a motivational speaker. He used to be a Southern Baptist teacher. And he says, say it once. Yeah. So tell all your friends once. Get it out there so they'll be accountable. And then shut the fuck up and then do it. Completely agree. And, and Completely I understand agree. what he said. Yeah. You know? so that's, yeah, I, I mean, people... Week in after week in, telling me the same fucking story. Exactly. I'm like, just minimum viable product and shut the fuck up. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> He's the grumpy old man buzzer's going. <laughs> yes, 20-year-old. Sorry, There sorry. it is. Uh, James, uh, it's been such a pleasure uh, having you here. Uh, you're definitely more fun than, uh, than your LinkedIn photo. Uh, so, <laughs> suggest. So uh, this is a lot of fun. And if you're listening, um, you know, this makes, this makes a lot of sense. If you're looking for space, um, it, it makes sense to, to spend the extra money, go the extra time to apply, to go into central working, yeah. as opposed to just X desk and shortage, where so, you're going to get so much value that you can't quantify, that years down the line, you'll be like, why didn't my business make it? It didn't make it because James wasn't there. Exactly. And the team. With the army. Yeah. And, and whoever else you know. So, uh, you know, it, it does make sense to just think, think about your space a little Absolutely. bit more, exactly. right? Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm here in the studio and I have a lot of people coming through, but like I can, I can value the success of what I'm doing, the deals I'm doing based on the meetings I have. So, Completely. I mean, it's ultimately it's about connections. who you're in contact with yeah. in a physical way, which yeah. is hard to imagine. It's in all this, about the people. It's all exactly. About, yeah, what am so, I saying? Hello, the um, strap line. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people can uh, follow you on Twitter at Layfield, L-A-Y yeah. Field. Uh, at Central Working as well? Um, at Central Working is probably more active. I'm not that active on Twitter, sadly. Okay. I should be more active. Do you have space in, in Whitechapel, for example, if people want to come? Or yeah, Basically, uh, any, I challenge you. I challenge you to come down and not love it. If you wow. don't love it, I'll buy you a coffee. <laughs> I promise you, you're going to love it. It's fucking amazing. Okay, and you have space. People can, can yeah, come and can of come. We've only just opened. Okay. And, more importantly, everyone, we've got a launch party on the 18th of June epic event tickets are on Eventbrite get yourself a ticket go to our Facebook page forward slash central working apply for a ticket come and enjoy yourself this is at Whitechapel yeah it's probably going to be a crazy party alright I'm in the element. good Good. Yeah. Okay. We'll go. Um, fantastic. Uh, I love this uh, I love this whole business model it gets me excited so uh, thanks so much for being here you know, as we say, right, uh, it's about the people here. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on hello at siliconreel.com if you want yep. to hit us up with some messages. We got uh, a bunch of people that are helping out on the show coming into the studio tomorrow. We're talking about taking over the world, all this crazy stuff. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some people have helped out recently and, you know, become part of the team. We're trying to grow this thing. We're a startup too, right? Um, trying to figure out, you know, how to keep growing and get good guests. We'd love keep, to help keep, keep, keep moving, with that. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe we should move the studio to Central Working. There you go. You could have a remote studio. No. Yeah, not a crazy idea right no, not a crazy idea. Um, and if you have guest ideas uh, sounds like we need to get this woman in from London Partners yeah, and, you and all that stuff then uh, hit us up on Twitter and uh, come back to us
And there you go. If you listen to us on iTunes or on a YouTube channel, give us a search. You can see uh, our extremely good-looking faces. And uh, until then, guys, it's about the people. James, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Take care. It's really difficult to try and explain the kind of reality of Bitcoin, which is just one giant document where every single transaction has been recorded. This that's is all, the blockchain, This right? is the blockchain, exactly. Okay. It's hard to explain ledger. that to anyone. Yeah, nobody listens to that. So you just talk about Bitcoins, and you talk about the fact that there's 21 million of them at some point by the time they've all been mined, and you talk about the fact that they get mined by computers, but then, you, know, you don't really explain the whole specific nature of what it is. Because that hurt Bitcoin in the beginning. It was too, <laughs> it was too much information, right? For complete beginners, um, like how much do you know about this, this Federal Reserve or the, the UK central bank and they do quantitative easing that's the, that is what mining is